Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to start a new series today entitled Conversion. Conversion. And we're going to study through the Sermon on the Mount throughout the months of the summer season. And today I'm going to begin reading with Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. And if you'll go there, I want to read the verses and then we'll come back to the message itself. Matthew records, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Conversion. Conversion. It's a word that simply means change in character, change in form, or change in function. And it is imperative for us that we understand God's call, that by faith in our salvation, we convert to Jesus's lordship. So often we hear much about Jesus as our savior, but far, far, far too little about Jesus as Lord. Friends, hear me when I say this, that Jesus in the gospels very clearly sets forth, Jesus is the savior of no one over whom he is not ruling as Lord. Conversion represents the outward nature of the transformation that Jesus is making inwardly. And it brings that change to its full intended purpose. This is what conversion is all about. And in this series, what we are going to do is trace Matthew's gospel to us as he introduces. If you look at the gospel of Matthew, the first four chapters are the birth of Jesus and the the lineage and uh, those, those young years. And then very quickly he moves to the call of Jesus to his public ministry and how he begins to call his disciples to come follow me. And then at the beginning of chapter 5 last summer, we walked through the Beatitudes, what it means for us to be a Christian. And he talks about our purpose in verses 13 through 16 of being a Christian. And when we come to verse 17, he gives Jesus' teaching at a very critical point, a hinge, you might say, for how we are to understand all of the Scriptures, not just the Gospel of Matthew. But the gospel writers are granting to us a lens through which we see all of the scriptures. And so in this series, as we study through chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the gospel of Matthew, each week 
Matthew will give to us a different topic or a different subject that directs us to look at what it is that we think or believe about that and to consider what the scriptures teach and to convert our thinking and our living according to Jesus. You see, conversion means that we look and we listen to the one who is the Lord, that we remember his righteousness that he has put on us, and we convert our lives by faith to walk in obedience with him. And so throughout the summer, we will be imploring you to believe that Jesus changes everything for the one who believes to live in him every week, challenging you to believe. And I promise you, beginning next week, it will be a challenge. It will strike at the most fundamental essence of how it is that we try to uh, purport our own righteousness and replace Jesus's righteousness. But today, I want us to look at the framework for how we should approach each topic or subject that we will be encountering. This is what Matthew is doing. Matthew's gospel account begins with this Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is not just one sermon that Jesus preached. It's not like a a shotgun approach to every topic he could think he needed to deal with. He just sat there and people just listened to him go one to the next to the next. But rather, these are collections of teachings from Jesus himself that Matthew takes and records so that we can understand how it is that we convert in our thinking and our living to centralizing our life on Jesus. And so today we consider the one to whom we convert that changes everything. He is the center of our faith. He is the center of our understanding. He is the center of our life as the Lord Jesus who is the Christ. And what I want you to see today is that Jesus is Lord who gives himself as Savior in order to become our righteousness. Jesus is Lord who gives himself as Savior to become our righteousness. And so Matthew begins with the introductions, and he frames the conversation that he is about to purport to people in the record of Jesus' teaching. We have a new identity in Jesus. That's called the Beatitude. We have a new purpose in this world. We are salt. We are light. And so Matthew is explicitly speaking to those who are in the kingdom of God, part of his kingdom. And that's not just a, a, have I earned that citizenship yet, but rather have I received it as the free gift of Jesus as Savior. And if I am a part of his kingdom, this is the way I live in order to honor him as Lord and Savior. Jesus taught that in his coming, he fulfilled the law and he fulfilled the prophets. Now, let me just give you a little bit of biblical background and exegesis here in a very quick snippet. Anytime Jesus or the New Testament writers refer to the law in terms of capital L, they're referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the principal corpus of their scriptural texts. But they also had the prophets 
who were the speakers for God in the Old Testament before the tradition of writing the scriptures down were fully intact. So it was an oral tradition before it was a written tradition. So when Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, for you and I today, that's the entire Old Testament is what he's telling us. There was no New Testament. It was being written as we're speaking and studying through the Gospels. So what Jesus is telling us is he is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. And what Matthew is showing us by Jesus' words and subsequently his teachings that will follow is a radical new understanding about how Christ followers relate to the word of God because of our new identity as his followers. What does it mean for us to live in the kingdom of Christ's lordship? You see, friends, here's the key to conversion in your life. That what we believe about who Jesus is and why he came becomes the lens through which we understand God's word according to God's purpose and God's will. And I believe the one on the screen says what he taught too. That's important. You see, the principal change in our new righteousness is that we begin to think distinctively according to Jesus. Listen, friends, this will be one of the most practical applications you'll ever make in the Christian life. If Satan can't deceive you, he will not be able to successfully tempt you. Satan's first temptation came at the hands of a deception. Did God really say, And framing our mind to think central to God's truth in Jesus Christ is the key to defeating Satan. Conversion means we think differently about all things according to the Bible, God's word, because we think distinctively of Jesus. So today I want us to begin this series entitled Conversion By understanding five points that help us center our life on Jesus that Matthew provides for us from Jesus' teaching here. Go back with me to verse 17 and let's look at the first point of conversion. Conversion means that Jesus centers our life on God as the one who fulfills the law of God for us. Verse 17, Jesus says what? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So the entire Old Testament, he's saying, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, there's a couple of words that you can replace for fulfill or that are synonymous with that. Fulfill or end the fulfillment of, or complete. That's what Jesus is saying here. You see, he's teaching a radical reorientation to God's word from that which they were accustomed to in that day. And so often what we are accustomed to in our day, Jesus isn't just radically reorienting them because they were wrong in the day that they held, but he's radically reorienting us because the first century mistake they made is the every century mistake that we all make. We want to orient God's 
word to ourself. And subsequently, that orients it to our sin. But what Jesus is saying is you orient it to me. You see, from the page of this written script to the very one who is the author and the embodiment of God's word, Jesus is the center of all the scriptures. And so he addresses the law and the prophets by explaining the purpose for his coming. And what was it? That he would be the fulfillment of the law. What does it mean, though, that Jesus said he fulfilled the law? It means he satisfies their meaning. He completes their understanding. There is no incompleteness of the understanding of the law or the prophets through the understanding of Jesus as the centralization of our interpretation or our understanding. You see, friends, Jesus' purpose and Jesus' mission for coming to the earth was to fulfill and to satisfy the Old Testament and the whole of the Scriptures. Everything that was said, hear me, not only, but rather ultimately points to Jesus. Yes, every word of the Old Testament had an explicit, immediate meaning for the people who lived in the day in which those words were spoken to them. But just as every book of the Bible has a human author, every book of the Bible has a divine author. And it is in this relationship that the fullness of the meaning of God's will, of God's word, and God's purpose through God's work comes to fruition through us. And what Jesus is saying is when the word came from the human author, the word was coming also through the divine author. And for you and I today, looking back through the New Testament into the old, we understand the old both in what it said and what it is saying to us today. Jesus is the key because he is the word made flesh. You see, Jesus' fulfillment means he made two specific accomplishments. First of all, the law's demand and the law's condemnation are no longer on those who are in Christ. This is the first fulfillment that Jesus made. He offered himself as the Savior the perfect sacrificial land. The Father gave Jesus as a propitiation. In other words, he was our payment for our sin debt and Jesus willingly laid his life down for that. In so doing and in his death, he removed the demand of the law from us and he took away the condemnation of the law from upon us. But that doesn't remove the necessity of the law or the prophets. Rather, it amplifies their importance. And this is a day and time in which we need to hear that very word. A day and time in which the scriptures as a whole are under severe attack and have been in our day and time for several generations. You see, the demand and the condemnation that comes through the law, which Paul will go on later to teach, 
that sin is even known because of the law and because we know what we know about the law of God and about our imperfection or unrighteousness in light of what we learn through the law places that demand and that condemnation upon us. But demand and condemnation is not the essence of the law. How many of you, when you drive down the road and you see the sign speed limit 65 and it reminds you to look at your speedometer and you see I'm going 65, how many of you feel condemned? You feel pretty good about yourself, don't you? Yes. Why? Because you've satisfied the law. It's small, but you don't have to worry about the blue lights appearing in the back of your car unless, of course, you forgot to renew your tags. That's different. You see, the the demand of the law placed upon us and the condemnation that subsequently comes when we see that we don't fulfill it is the fruit and the result of the law's work, not the essence of the law. And the demand and the condemnation that sits upon us from the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, is only on those who are outside of Jesus Christ. There is no demand upon us. There is no condemnation upon us because of the law and the prophets if we are in Christ. Why? Because he's satisfied those things. He's fulfilled them for us. For those who are in Christ, the law's demand is satisfied and the law's condemnation has been removed. That's what Jesus is teaching in verse 17. And that's the first specific accomplishment. The second accomplishment is that by removing the demand and the condemnation of the law does not nullify the law. Rather, it heightens the importance of it by changing the purpose of it. And now the purpose of it is not to show us our sin, but rather through conversion to Jesus and his lordship, The law and the prophets that he perfectly fulfilled now serve a new purpose for our lives. It no longer explains to us why we are separated from him, but now it presents to us this righteousness that we walk in because of his power and his work in us. The relationship has changed, friends. And the first point of conversion is that we think about Scripture in a way that is distinctive to Jesus. He centers the the whole Bible because he fulfills it all for us. Jesus fulfilled the law not just because he performed perfectly, which he did, But more than his performance, his performance was merely the revelation of his very nature and being, friends. There there was no possible way that he couldn't perform perfectly because that's who he is. But more than his perfect performance, he is the author of the word. He's the very embodiment of the word that is living. He is the word made flesh, John says in chapter 1 verse 14. And the way that Christians think should be fully shaped by Jesus because he's the perfect fulfillment of that word. Every teaching, every commandment, every part of, even the whole Bible has its full meaning in this one person, Jesus 
Christ. The Bible does not have its full meaning in me, nor in you. It is not a book written for you. It's not a book written about you. It is a book written about Jesus. And it is a book written for the revelation of God to us. That we might know who he is and worship him as Lord. First, conversion centers our life on Jesus as the one who fulfills the law of God for us. Let me ask you this, friends. Has the law of God been fulfilled for you? Has its demand that it places on you and its condemnation that it places on you been satisfied for you? Or are you still at a point in your life where you're still trying to get there with God? Where the demand of the Bible, all of it, or any part of it, And the condemnation that you sense from it when you read it or when you hear it remains. Friends, that's what the first point of conversion is all about. Jesus has fulfilled that for us. And if you don't know what it means to have the demand of God's law fulfilled for you, today I invite you to come to know the one by faith who's already done that. He freely gives to you what he has already fully accomplished in himself. The second point of conversion in verse 18 is simply this, that conversion means then that the Bible is our full authority for life, but not all parts apply identically to us. That the Bible is our full authority for life, but not all parts apply identically to to us. Look at verse 18 and see what Jesus says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Dot nor iota. What Jesus is saying there, he makes a reference to the smallest letter and the smallest grammatical mark. That's what those two words are in the Greek language. And he basically says, there's not one point of minutia, there's not one point that most would consider the smallest or the least important that will not be absolutely fulfilled. And until it comes to pass as God has intended it to come to pass, it will remain. That means it's still fully binding, fully authoritative. In other words, there is no time in history. Culture will not remove for us the demand of God's law upon us. It cannot. It cannot. Until God's will and God's work is accomplished, Jesus says his law The Old Testament, as well as the New, remains completely intact. Jesus tells us that the whole Bible holds authority for our life with God. You see, Jesus' coming does not mean we need the Bible less. Well, we got Jesus. What do we need the Bible for? For the Bible is essential until all things are accomplished and until eternity is ushered in. And because the Bible is fulfilled in Jesus, it actually means we need it more in order to understand God's revelation through Jesus. 
You see, we, we, we don't just go to the Bible to look for principles and practices for our life. Biblical principles are good. I'm, I'm not saying that. But the problem is so often we find the principle and we remove the capital P principle of the principle. What happens is we take what we can do. We take an application that we can immediately plug and play to fix our situation instead of humbling ourselves to the only one that can truly fulfill and completely satisfy our situation that we're facing. And that's what the Bible does for us. That's why it is so important to us now. It's not just to go and let's find the best principles and the best practices that we can draw from it. No, the Bible is about coming to know a person. And the more we know the Bible, the more we come to know the person of Jesus Christ. And the more we walk with Jesus Christ in the personal relationship that he gives to us, the more and the better we come to understand the Bible. You see, Jesus as the fulfillment of Scripture makes every part of the Bible more important for us, not less, never less. Friends, I'm going to tell you what, if this weren't true, I wouldn't even tell you you need to mess with Numbers or Leviticus. You're like, what's that? That's my point. Right? But because it is, and when you read those and you come to understand them in light of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, this God that you've been holding this big that you thought was pretty gargantuous already just shatters the mold that you've had him in. Why? Because his holiness His bigness, his righteousness is so much greater. You see, friends, according to Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. Because of Jesus, the Old Testament is as authoritative and binding before God on Christians as the New Testament. It's either the word of God or it's not. It's either sufficient or it is not. It's either all God's word or, hear me, if you and I can substantiate and justify why any part of it is not God's word, we might as well throw the whole of it out. Because what Jesus said, it's either all or it is none. It is not Sunday's buffet. Therefore, the issue is not can we dismiss or disregard, but how should we understand to apply for obedience the Scriptures? In the Scriptures, God is not introducing a set of regulations only to govern our behavior. The Bible is not a rule book. That's how people who are not in Christ, that's how people who do not live in the kingdom of God understand the Bible. When Christians think this way about the Bible, our mind is actually contrary to our salvation. And subsequently, our mind is the very thing that is opposing our conversion to him. You get that? When you read the Bible incorrectly, you're actually opposing the work of God in you. God's transforming your mind. And the Bible is his revelation for people to bring us into relationship with him by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is the knowledge of God as he reveals himself to us to draw us deeper into relationship with him, to make us more like him. That the Bible does not all apply identically to us does not mean that it has no application for us. There's two ways we get this wrong. The first way we get this wrong is to say, that was then, this is now, that doesn't matter for me now. Not true. It may not matter and apply in the same way it did in that day, but it still matters. 
And that's what we should be doing. The other part is this. We look in the Old Testament, we find the promises we like, and we build our life on them, and then we wonder why God didn't come through to what he promised to. Because that promise wasn't made for you that way. I could give some examples, but I don't want you to have to go home and clean your library out. But this is often, very often, the way that false teachers purport and steal our hearts by deceiving our minds. What salvation means is simply that our full and final application comes through the full revelation of Jesus. And not just the application we see, even in former history. God's word is the Christian's authority for relationship with God in our faith, in our life, and in all and every practice. Second, conversion means the Bible is fully authoritative for our life, but not all parts apply identically to us. One point of illustration I'll give to you here. There have been some some things through the years of my life that have helped me begin to think and to apply the scriptures in a Jesus-centered way. I'll give you two resources that explicitly help. Number one is Morning and Evening, a devotional by Charles Spurgeon. So Spurgeon is notorious for uh, giving a passage of scripture in this devotional and then explaining and exploiting how Jesus is just all in the middle of it. And that's so helpful. A second resource for me has been the journals of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary. And in his journals, who Elizabeth, his wife, later took and and made into print, he did the same thing. He takes a verse or a passage of Scripture, reads through one chapter of the Bible, and then talks about how Jesus is at the center of that for his own life. He's trying to make application of that passage of Scripture with Jesus as the completeness of his understanding for it. I commend those two to you if you need good resources for your own heart. The third point of how conversion helps us center our life on Jesus is that Christians honor Jesus as Lord by obeying and teaching others to do the same. Verse 19, he says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, once set free from the demand of the, and condemnation of the law, we can cease our striving after achieving God in order to live in the full pleasure of God. I love this imagery in this picture. Jesus empowers and he guides our obedience to walk in his commands and in his statutes. Christians obey Jesus because we love and trust him and we live to honor him. Listen to me, friends. Every week, not just throughout this summer, every week of your life, never come into church just wanting to feel better about yourself where you are with God. Come into church wanting God to speak to you about where you are and where he is leading you. 
And if you want something to feel good about, feel good about this, that God has spoken in a way that you understand your situation, your circumstance, your decision, your difficulty, your hardship, your joy, whatever it is, that you understand it more so that you can live with the pleasure of God's countenance warmly embracing your life and you can walk in that. Nothing sets you free like the pleasure of God. And when Christ covers your life, your life is completely covered by the pleasure, the countenance of God upon you. And that's why our obedience is so critical for us. Christian conversion changes our motivation and changes our purpose for obedience. We're not simply here to accomplish a task, but we are here for a life that honors our Lord. We are living sacrifices, Romans 12, 2 says. In Jesus, we find our true purpose and our full meaning for life. And it's this purpose and this meaning that we live out and we live with the intention to teach others. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a classroom setting, right? It just means the explanation, the testimony, the, the reason for the hope that you're ready to give at all times. Friends, this is disciple making where we evangelize those who do not know Jesus and we disciple those to full maturity who are walking in the kingdom with us to follow Jesus. Conversion changes us, friends. It changes us from asking the questions of our rebellion of how much can I get out of that I don't have to do, or how much can I just get from God, or how much can I actually get away with and God not strike me immediately dead. Rather, it changes our question to pursue the Lord's honor. How can I, how do I consume my life with God to honor Him in every way? Conversion changes our questions that change our thinking because we've had a change in our direction and in our purpose. And a wrong or a bad attitude towards Jesus and towards his commands dishonors him. According to Jesus, the person who holds his commands in high regard and teaches others, think about this, not only teaching but encouraging others to do the same, is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Friends, obedience honors Jesus and encourages others to obey him. So the third point that centers our life on Jesus is that Christians honor Jesus as Lord by obeying, by teaching others to do the same. The fourth point, conversion means Christians trust and obey Jesus as their exceedingly better righteousness. Listen to this, it's the key it's the key to conversion. Verse 20, for I tell you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will take longer to? No. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, friends, it's not about what you accomplish. It's about what you admit. Jesus concludes his teaching by confronting the traditions and shattering their worldview. And he says that the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, why would he refer to them? Because they're at the top of the echelon in this day and time. Surely God loves them. Look how perfect they are. But Jesus says their righteousness is not sufficient for entry into the kingdom of heaven. And friends, I want you to know, we talk down about the Pharisees and the scribes a lot because of their legalistic tendencies. But get this, they were on point. 
You couldn't call a, a chapter and verse number that they couldn't immediately cite and quote to you. Pharisees, in order to become a Pharisee, had to memorize the entirety of the first five books of the Old Testament, the law. Scribes could grammatically drive you in the ground. I don't mean just by irritating you. I mean by their correctness, by their attention to detail. They had not missed. That's why Jesus says not one dot or iota will pass. They had not missed one, and if they did, they had to throw the whole thing out and start all over again. They couldn't just cut and paste. This is significant for us. The problem was this. They majored on part of the law that they could do, but they dismissed what Jesus says was the weightier matters of the law that they didn't care to have to mess with. Why? Because the weightier matters are this, loving God and loving others. And let me tell you, nothing will mess with your own personal righteousness like the junk of other people when you're trying to help them. And you say, you enter into their sin? No, they create more in you. Because they don't do what you say. Because they don't do it the way you said do it. I told you what to do and you didn't go do it. Why not? Right? I mean, you start trying to help others and love others and they turn that back on you. There isn't anything that will bring unrighteousness out of the heart quicker than that. I thought I told you, Billy, go empty the dishwasher, right? Sorry, I had to make a Mother's Day application there. And yet that's what he's talking about. A righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisee reminds us that the standard by which we are measured is never another person. It's Jesus. We are all measured by God's perfection. And until our righteousness measures up to that, we need another righteousness. God judges every person by the full measure of the law and when we recognize this we know our righteousness is as filthy rags before him we need a better righteousness than what we can produce what we can earn what we can achieve we need a righteousness that is not our own Jesus came to give his righteousness that is exceedingly better than our religious performance What does it mean to have a better righteousness? One that's better than our own? One that's better than anything or anyone can provide for us? It's got to be greater in quality. And hear me, it's got to be greater in quantity. You've got to perform perfectly every time. That's what he's telling us. We get full credit for something we not only did not do, but we could never do. We've already messed it up. And if the righteousness of your life does not fulfill the whole law of God, every dot and iota, then you need a better righteousness. And the question today is whose righteousness will you trust when you stand before God to give an answer for it? Conversion means we live in Jesus as our better righteousness. We're not trusting ours, we're trusting his. Because he is sufficient to give us eternal life with God. I'll close with number five here. This actually comes from the end of chapter 7. It says this. It's the crowd's response to Jesus at the end of his sermon. And Matthew shows this as a cumulative response to the people when Jesus taught. 
Chapter 7, verse 28 and 29 says, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Friends, conversion brings in us the life-giving power of Jesus' righteousness on us by his word to us. I conclude with these verses because they demonstrate the power of God's word. Just as Jesus taught with authority like no one else because he is the living word, so today his word still comes this way for our life. And friends, knowing the author changes the way we experience the word. And it changes the way the word works in us to change us. When you live with Jesus as Lord... You obey his word as your authority for life in this conversion because you're living in the love that you've come to know. Jesus is Lord who gives himself as Savior to become our righteousness. Are you living in Jesus' righteousness or some other righteousness? Only his will be sufficient when you stand before God. Why don't you receive him today? Let's pray.